so um, you notice Andrew isn't here today. He texted me yesterday around 2.30, and he said, uh, I have food poisoning. Michelle and I got food poisoning on the way back from our vacation. So um, subbing in today, uh, give me a little grace. I did pull out a sermon uh, from a while back. It's called How the Gospel Changes Cor- the Coronavirus. So if you want to, I'm just kidding. <laughs> did we really live through that? I don't get it. Holy cow. We are going to look at a different story here in the Gospels. I imagine that many of you have uh, a few favorite passages in the Gospels of Jesus interacting with people or doing certain things. And um, this is one of my favorite passages. It's in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and open those up with me. This is an unbelievable event that takes place. So, Luke 11, excuse me, Luke 7, starting in verse 11. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer. And the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus in the flesh to reveal the kingdom of God to us. You sent Jesus to do miraculous things. To show us that he was God and that he has come to save us from ourselves. That he has come to redeem us. And give us salvation. That Jesus has come to bring us back into a right relationship with you, Heavenly Father. A relationship that we broke because of our own sin and rebellion. Lord, open our eyes to this passage this morning to understand more of who Jesus is. And what it means for us as a church to follow him. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever witnessed something spectacular? Something that you talked about for days after it happened? Remember, this goes back a little bit. Remember, this was the last swim for Michael Phelps. And the USA men's swim team, they won the 
four by 100 relay in the Olympics, beating the French when Michael Phelps won the gold by a fingernail. Remember that? Maybe, maybe not. Um, how about 9-11? I think many of you are old enough to remember that. We still remember the images in our mind. Maybe uh, you remember seeing a bear. This is one of my memories uh, when we were in Alaska. We saw, we were out in Prince William Sound in a boat in front of this glacier, and we watched this bear scale up this glacier only to find a spot where he could just slide down like a five-year-old. And then he'd scurry again to the top, and then he'd slide back down. We watched him for over an hour. It was awesome, but I'll always have that in my mind. Or how about this spectacular event that happened here in our own congregation? A couple who got divorced, but they reconciled, and they got remarried again. That is spectacular. This morning, we've just read something spectacular, and I wish that we could all have been there to witness it for ourselves. Jesus just raised a dead man to life. Other than reading about accounts like this in the Bible, none of us have witnessed this spectacular event in person. We've never seen this. It's never happened in our lifetime. It's never happened since, until, since Jesus was here. And I believe that the people who were eyewitnesses to that event of Jesus raising the man to life not only talked about it for days, but I would imagine it was burned into their memory for the rest of their lives. I don't think a day would go by that they would forget what happened when Jesus said to the dead boy, Arise, get up! And then he got up. As we'll see in just a moment, that while we can apply this passage in many ways, um, there's the, the central focus here is on Jesus. The Son of God, the Word who became flesh, the visible image of the invisible God who has the power over death. Don't miss that. So as we look at the passage, we're always going to, we want to keep that before us, that Jesus alone has the power to bring the dead back to life. And he wants to bring us along to continue to witness to his power, to his redeeming love as he leads us through life. So let's go back together and see what happens here in the passage, who's involved, and what implications it does have for us today. So verse 11 says that Jesus was coming into a town of Nain, and a great crowd went with him. So uh, I have a little invisible map right here, okay? And uh, just remember your geography, right? We've got the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel. The Jordan River connects down to the Dead Sea, right? And uh, around the western side, northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee is a place called Capernaum. 
And Jesus spent a lot of time ministering there. And a little bit farther south is a town called Nazareth, right? Which we all know, that's where Jesus uh, lived most of his life. And then just less than 10 miles of there, from there is a town called Nain. And that's where Jesus and his crowd are going. So Jesus was coming from Capernaum, where he had healed a centurion's servant. And Jesus had done many miraculous things there. And many people were following him. Hundreds, in some cases thousands of people, were following Jesus <clears throat> to see what he would do or say next. So this crowd follows Jesus to Nain. <clears throat> but as they were approaching the city, up in the distance, coming out of the town of Nain, was another crowd of people. But the crowd leaving the city was a funeral procession. A widow's son had died, and it says a considerable crowd was mourning with her. So there are two large crowds, and they are getting ready to intersect with one another. One crowd following the creator of life, and one crowd literally following death. So you can only imagine the, the difference in the atmosphere of these two crowds. The crowd with, with Jesus was probably full of excitement and anticipation. What is Jesus going to do next? Why is he going to name? What else is he going to say to really tick the Pharisees off? Right? There was probably a sense of joy, of hope, of laughter, and a lot of talking. It was probably a very noisy crowd following Jesus. But while the other crowd must have been feeling exactly the opposite, their joy had turned to mourning. There was not laughter but weeping. There was not hope but despair. And I'm sure that as the crowd following Jesus looked ahead and saw what was coming at them, they began to feel some of the sense of solemnness of that crowd. And I imagine the road was not very wide, certainly not wide enough for these two large crowds to pass by together. So we picture the crowd following Jesus probably beginning to move aside to let uh, and make way for the funeral procession to come through just merely out of respect. You, you know, we've all been in a similar situation, right? Um, we're driving down the road and uh, we come to an intersection where the police have stopped all the traffic. The cars are stopped, and they've, they've stopped it in order for a funeral procession to go by. So we stop. If we're talking with someone in the car, we might be silent. We might turn off the radio. And as we look at the long line of cars with their headlights on, and we see the hearse, we too have a sense of solemnness as we watch this happen. It's because the reality of knowing that there's a dead person in the, in the hearse brings the reality of death to us. It's right there. It's driving by. The people in the cars that follow are in mourning. 
they are hurting and they're feeling a great deal of pain. So as the two crowds outside of Nain begin to intersect, Jesus takes the lead and walks right into the middle of the funeral procession. Actually, he walks straight up to the widow. And it says, for when Jesus saw the widow, he had compassion on her. Jesus is bold. He is bold. I mean, this, this woman is hurting. She's, she's already lost her husband. Now she's lost her son. She's in a very desperate situation. She's got this huge crowd with her, which means, must have been well known, right? The town, mourning. But Jesus is bold. He just doesn't stand by the roadside. He goes straight up to her. Jesus hates death as much as anyone. He knows the pain it brings better than any of us. Death is the physical manifestation of the consequences of sin. And Jesus says to her, these are his words, do not weep. Do not weep. Why in the world would Jesus say that? Doesn't this woman have the right to weep? I mean, come on. Come on, Jesus. Her son is dead. She does have the right to weep. But Jesus also has the right to tell her not to cry. Because he knows what he's about to do. He's about to turn her tears of despair into tears of joy. So Jesus comes up and he touches the buyer, which is the coffin. An old word for coffin. So remember, like you got these guys, they're holding the coffin, right? These pallbearers, they're walking down the road. Jesus comes up, tells this woman to not weep. People are probably thinking, who are you? What are you doing? Leave, this, leave us alone. Don't tell her not to weep. And then he touches the coffin. He gets right to the point, though. And he speaks not to the mother, not to the crowd. He speaks to the dead person on the, in the coffin, on the buyer. And he says, young man, I say to you, arise. People are probably thinking, this guy is nuts. What is he doing? And then the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus literally breathes life into this young man. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is able to speak words of life into a dead person. That's pretty cool. No one else could do it. No one else has the authority over death like Jesus does. And it's interesting, the response of those who were there was that 
fear seized them all. It scared them to death. It would have scared me to death. I mean, if you think about if you were in the crowd following the coffin, and you knew that the dead boy, and this guy comes up, touches the coffin, and says, "Hey, get up!" and he gets up, starts talking. The boy wasn't like unconscious or really, really sick or in some sort of coma. He was dead. You don't you don't take a person and put them in a coffin and take them to bury them unless they're really, really dead. Okay. So, he was dead. And Jesus brings him back to life. And it says, fear seized them all. It was breathtaking. And it scared the daylights out of those who witnessed it. And I'm trying to think what I would have done if I had seen this. I, too, I would have been frightened. If someone has the power to raise someone from the dead... There's no greater power than that, is there? You know, you might have the power to, to run really fast. You might have the power to lift heavy weights. You might have the power to do something that seems, you know, superhuman. You don't have the power to raise the dead. Nobody does, except Jesus. So it frightens them. It should kind of frighten us, too. Jesus shows he should be revered and taken very seriously. If at this point anybody in the crowd that was following him, you know, we, we, there were probably some skeptics still following Jesus, right? Not sure about this guy. What's he going to do next? See him do miraculous things. But maybe if any of them were skeptical at this point, I would think that skepticism was gone. Right? It also says that they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. So they acknowledged this to be an act of God. And they were calling Jesus a great prophet, and in essence, admitting that Jesus was God. We now have God in the flesh with us right now, is what they were saying. It, it, on a kind of a side note, it's interesting to note that after this incident, okay, we're going to read it here. After this incident, the disciples of John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he had preached uh, repentance and preached that Jesus was the Lamb of God. His, his whole ministry was pointing everybody to Jesus, but then he said something. Uh, he called out a Herod for his sin and everything, and Herod throws him into prison, right? So he's literally rotting in prison. And John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to go to Jesus because he's kind of tired of being in prison all this time, thinking, is this guy for real? And John wants to know if Jesus really is the Messiah. So he sends his disciples back to Jesus and asks this question. And this is in, uh, this is in the following verse, Luke eleven eighteen to 23. Jesus answers John's, John's disciples, who will then go tell John the Baptist this. He says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. 
and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus says, look, yes, your question, John, is am I the Messiah? And his answer is yes, I am. And he proves it with his actions. So we have this unbelievably spectacular, miraculous event that happens with these two crowds. And Jesus at the very center, raising someone from the dead. So what are the implications for us? So as we witness this spectacular event ourselves, as we read it in Scripture, I want us to think about the two crowds. The one crowd following the creator of life, and the other crowd following death. And I want you to think about the crowd that you're in. Here, together, as spring. Remember, we're in this theme, created for community. Okay? We're in this crowd that's following Jesus. Okay? Now, maybe some are still skeptical about it, but many of you are not. You are fully devoted followers of Jesus. So we're in this crowd following Christ. Our community of faith here at Spring Run is following Jesus. We're trying to learn from him. We watch him do miraculous things in the lives and hearts of people amongst ourselves. We are trying to listen to his voice. We are trying to understand and obey his teaching and trying to conform our lives to it. And we sense the joy and excitement of being in Christ's presence. You know, this is my constant prayer for you, that you will passionately pursue Jesus. That's my prayer. Every week, Lord, bring these dear friends at Spring Run to become passionate followers of Jesus. Help them to bathe in the scriptures. Help them to run to you in prayer, Lord. Help them to serve one another and care for one another. Help them to see the depths of your grace and forgiveness. Because it's that, that is what propels us into mission and ministry. It's joyful. But the reality is that our crowd will intersect. Our crowd here will intersect with the other crowd, which is following death. The world follows its own cravings, this other crowd, its own desires, its own selfishness, and its own gods. That crowd, whether they realize it or not, are following death, is following death. And like the funeral procession in the story, they are heading straight for the graveyard. And God orchestrated here in this passage these two crowds to intersect. It was planned that Jesus would raise the boy to life and that the people in these two crowds would begin to interact with one another. See where I'm going with this? Don't you think that after Jesus raised the boy to life, that some people in the funeral procession started to talk to the people in Jesus' procession, in the other crowd, asking questions like, who is this guy? Tell me more about him. 
I think I might want to follow him. If he can do this, if he has the power over life and death, I'm getting interested, right? God wants our crowd to intersect with the crowd of the world. He doesn't want us to pass them by with no interest, right? He doesn't want us to just stand by the roadside and let them go by and do their own thing. He wants us to be bold. He wants us to stand in the middle of the road and intersect, get in the way. That's what Jesus did. stood right in the middle of the road and said, Woman, don't weep. Young man, get up. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus brings us from death to life. We have that message. He wants us to have compassion on people. That's what Jesus did. That was his attitude and his demeanor. He was compassionate and not afraid to get involved in their messy lives. I mean, what if it didn't, didn't work? What was he going to do then? Of course, he knew it would work because he is the creator of life. Jesus is not afraid of death, and neither should we be afraid of death. We have the gift of life. We have the answer to all of life's problems because we have Jesus living in our hearts. Did you know that? Did you know you have the answer to every problem that comes along in your life? Every single one. You have the answer. His name is Jesus. That's where we go. It's not like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure how I'm going to get out of this situation. Oh, no. I don't have enough money. Oh, no. I've got cancer. Jesus is the answer to every problem that we will ever have. Because he will take care of us all the time. He, he comes to us in our tragedy. He comes to us while we're mourning, while we're suffering. He can relieve that suffering. He may not remove that suffering. But he can bring his balm to soothe us, to comfort us. And ultimately, when we die this physical death on this earth, we will be with him forever, where there will be no more crying and no more tears and no more death. We have the gospel in us, and we are to share it with those around us. So the question is, are we making time to intersect with the dead crowd? Are we making time to be with people, loving them and sharing the gospel with them? We need to push ourselves outside the door and into the community. It's not that we stop meeting together. It's just that we may need to be more intentional about making sure that our crowd is intersecting with the crowd that needs to know Jesus. And the fun part is, is that we get to do it together. And I'm going to share an illustration, and you're probably like, Flex, you use that every single time you preach. I'm sorry. 
it's come, it's just constantly on my mind. Okay, so I apologize already. There are several dear women in this church that faithfully go down to a house that's been created for women who have just either gotten out of prison or have coming off drugs and alcohol, have lost their kids because of their lifestyle, and have basically ruined their lives. And these dear women don't care how messy it is. They go, they bring food, they are pre-prayed before they go. They bring not just physical food, they bring spiritual food, they bring God's word to these women. They've banded together to go and spend time at the real life houses, to feed them, to share the scriptures with women who are really, really struggling in life. I, I, want, I, want to, I want to be able to use another illustration in the future because I want that illustration and what they are actually doing to compel you to do the same. It may not be at a real life house. You don't have to go down to the inner city to do this. They're hurting people next door that live next door to you. There are marriages that are on the brink of divorce. Kids that live on your street that are so anxious and depressed they won't leave their house. They're right there. I love this passage because it is a crystal clear story of the gospel and how it's supposed to go out into the world. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. The people in the story said it themselves. A great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. That is the gospel. God has visited his people in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus has come not just to make us feel warm and fuzzy, but Jesus has come to take our cold, dead hearts and bring them back to life so that we can worship and glorify him. And he expects us, he expects us to believe in him, in him, and then he expects us to proclaim it to the world around us. We cannot keep the gospel bound up in our own hearts. It must go out from us. We must proclaim it. We must love other people with the gospel of grace. You have, you have experienced it. Just like the people in the story, true story. This was a true story that actually happened, by the way. This is not like fairy tale. Jesus actually, there were eyewitnesses, thousands of eyewitnesses that saw Jesus raise this boy to life, and it's written down for us to know, okay? They experienced it. We experience it through reading it and believing in it. But we also experience Jesus in the way that we've seen him in our own lives, in our own community here, transform people and raise dead hearts back to life. We've experienced it. We've sensed it. We know it. We've realized it in our own lives. And now 
time for us to lead one another in our crowd into the crowd of death. We have nothing to fear and we have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. You cannot lose anything by doing this. Absolutely nothing. The power of our crowd lies in the power of the risen Savior, Jesus. He alone has the power of, over death, and he alone will call people back to life, and we need to trust in him alone. So my hope is that you have witnessed this spectacular event this morning where Jesus raised a dead person to life, that you will be talking about it all day today and tomorrow, and until the day you die, you'll remember this story, this passage. There's no greater story to be told. Gold medals are great, but they don't compare to what Jesus did on the cross and in the empty tomb. So let us together love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Let us together passionately and zealously pursue following Jesus. And let us together love the crowd that we get to intersect with. This is how the gospel is going to go out and change the world. Let's pray. Lord Christ, we, um, we are amazed by what you did with uh, this young man. Give us faith to believe. Give us hearts that are warm towards your compassion. Compel us to go out and love others as you've loved us. Lord, I thank you for this crowd of people here in this room connected to this church. I thank you for their love for one another. I thank you that you have put your spirit into their hearts and have compelled them to minister, not just amongst ourselves, but to our community, to our neighbors. It has been beautiful time, Lord, these last almost 20 years of watching you work, and we look forward to another 20. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.